Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. I'm Andrew Harith. And I'm Andrew Decker. Mr. Decker. Good afternoon. Well, it's morning. I was about to say good afternoon. Yeah. Uh, Who knows when people are listening to this? Well, and I've been up a long time. First thing, I think people listen to us with their morning coffee. Well, that's what we're both having right now. That would be such a terrible way to start the day. (laughs) (laughs) Most of the time. Um, How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I went to a bookstore this week. I actually went to the bookstore. That's interesting, right? Um, I've I recently been to a bookstore. I don't. I love going to bookstores. I know, but you know, but when, when was the last time? Never, you were, yeah, it's been months before then. Yeah, pandemic slowed that down. But half, I had to go to. T- my brother wanted me to find one book. Barnes and Noble said they had it. They do, but not at the one closest to my house. Right? They were like, we have four of them in the Metroplex. That didn't do me any good. Why don't um, you go to your public library and use well, the Dewey Decimal uh, but then, System? But then I went, then I went to, to half-price books. They didn't have it either. Um, so I had to order it from Amazon. But when was the last time you were at a library? Let's be honest. Uh, to vote, probably. That, that's basically it. I yeah. have no need to go to a library. I used to actually hang out at the library when I was working on my doctorate that I never finished to study and read. Well, that was a long time ago. I think probably the last library I've been in was when I was studying for the bar exam. And that was a Mm. law library at the local law school. Yeah, me too. Um, Me too. Yeah. So our guest today. Yeah, that's a good. It's going to be highly disappointed. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So we have Kasha Cristobal. She is a uh, reference librarian with the University of Texas School of Law. In Austin. Uh, in Austin, Texas. Hello, Kasha. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on the podcast. No problem. This is what happens if you reach out to us. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, and maybe that's a deterrent for people to not reach out to us. I, I don't know. But Kasha did reach out to us with some very interesting questions, specifically asking us as defense attorneys um, regarding like legal research. Um, and, and we just thought it'd be a really great episode to kind of give a reality check post law school about just how much research are we doing on a day in day out basis. Right. And, and, and we're going to turn the format around a little bit. This is going to be more of a uh, open table discussion, but uh, Kasha is going to actually ask most of the questions because she's asking us as she's trying to figure out what to teach students about how to reference and learn and find stuff. That's what um, these University of Texas law students need. They they need us to tell them how to be better, smarter lawyers. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's that's not good. That's- but yeah, before we get into that, uh, Kasha, just introduce yourself to us and, you know, tell us how you got into the law, what you do currently, that kind of thing. Yeah, sure. I, I pretty much fell into things by accident Um, went to law school after having a history undergrad degree and actually went to law school after um, applying to library school and public policy school at the same time. And somehow law just seemed the most practical. But after being in law school, I decided that it just wasn't the best fit for me. So then I went straight on to um, School of Information at Michigan. So I got my master's there. And then, um, yeah, once you start working at a law library, so I was working at the University of Michigan Law Library as a student, it just seemed like the perfect blend of the two degrees. And then I uh, worked at George Washington University in DC for a while, and then have been at UT ever since. So about 12 or 13 years now, I've been doing reference um, where we help students and we help 
faculty and we help the public too. Yeah, so some of the most prestigious uh, law schools and law libraries in the country there. Are you sure you want to be on our podcast? <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> she will not put this on her resume. <laughs> well, I have started teaching a one credit course um, at UT uh, in Texas Legal Research. And so um, I have a range of students with different interests. And I think I've had one or two students who've been interested in criminal law. And so uh, I really enjoyed your podcast episode where you interviewed um, one of the authors for O'Connor's, I think it was Crimes and Consequences title. Yeah, yeah, Todd Todd yeah. yeah. So that was really great to be able to say, hey, here's not only, you know, this particular episode, but just the whole podcast generally, because part of what I try and talk about in the class is current awareness and how to stay up to date. And so I, I try and highlight podcasts, including yours. And um, yeah, it's just good to um, um, have a range of stuff out there in particular about Texas law. Well, I, I can tell you that I learn as much on this podcast as, as I convey way. I actually learned way more. And I, <laughs> I did not know Todd's book. Andrew did. Andrew Harris yep. did. Um, oh, okay. And I now have a copy on each one of my desks because it, it, it it's a shortcut. Yes. And it's uh -huh. a little easier. Now, I'll, I'll use that just kind of as the quick reference. And then if I need to, I, then I go pull my uh, bigger uh yeah, O'Connor's. Oh, yeah. right. My bigger O'Connor's code. And then if I need to do more, then I start digging into uh, legal research. But it's, you know, yeah. start with the quick and easy and work your way up versus trying to dig in uh, the opposite way. So, yeah, learn learning, always learning how to do this uh, more. Yeah. Efficiently. Well, I think you pretty much summed up the legal research process right there. Start with the secondary source and then move on to the primary sources. So good job. <laughs> All right. So Sweet. Gonna... <laughs> Check. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we're going to let you kind of ask, drive the, drive the uh, questions, at least for the, the start. So what, what do you want to, what do you want to know? Yeah, sure. I guess I'm just curious to know, you know, what your legal research uh, experience was like in law school and um, how did that prepare you or not for uh, what you're doing today? Yeah, I, you know, when I, when I started uh, law school as a 1L, we had to take a legal research and writing course. Um, and I thought initially that it was just going to be a blow off class, like something like really easy to kind of reset after, um, you know, my professor Baker's property class. Um, and, and it wasn't, it was, it was actually really challenging. And I, I think like I heard before I started law school, another attorney told me like the best thing about law school is that, you know, it's not really real world training per se, but it changes the way that you think and it changes the way that you convey information. And that nothing is more true than my legal research and writing class, just right. citations, um, how to find information, uh, how to make sure that information is correct and still good law. I mean, that is, um, you know, my, my initial training was, was that course and it was fairly challenging. Right. Yeah. So I, I had, I went in thinking, I know how to write. This is easy. Um, uh, I had a, mi basically a minor in English. Yeah. I had a master's of divinity. I worked on a, a doctor in ministry. Um, I wrote all the time and my writing professor, Jim Hamilton, uh, would crucify my writing. He said, shorter sentences, yeah, shorter sentences, shorter sentences. And now I see a compound sentence and I go, why? Why did Why? you put a but and an and and a therefore? Just give me a period and start a new sentence. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, 
so it so the writing piece but in terms of research what i remember is the first the first couple of weeks they made us go down in the library and actually find stuff in the books yeah um just so we kind of knew how it happened and then we started moving into more westlaw and lexus um but but honestly i i haven't looked in a southwest reporter physical copy in well probably uh, maybe once or twice while working as an intern yeah. but since then I, I have not actually pulled one of those books i end up going to lexus we have them in the office opinion. yeah we do we have, you a, have set a nice set i have a nice set but it's just really pretty for potential clients to see when they walk in i you right. know i mean the internet obviously changed everything. I don't, I don't ever go to one of those books. Right. Yeah. Now the, the, when somebody's trying to get rid of those books, somebody will say, I, if anybody has this volume, I want it because I'm in that volume. I'd like to have a copy for my yeah. office. And that's, that's yeah. it. It's. Well, and I think the pandemic has accelerated that even more since the sure. library that I worked at was. Well, um, Kasha, what, what are you yeah. seeing as the biggest challenge for, new students and kind of grasping this new way of thinking? I mean, I think that, um, I mean, and I had the same experience that you were talking about of um, when I started law school, you did the books first and then went online. And I feel like that helped, um, you know, with your memory of like developing memory of like what certain things are and that they're like discrete titles and discrete types of resources. So um, these days, you know, it's fine. I'm not trying to get anyone to use print, um, you know, with this, I, I, I think it's fine for people to use everything online, but, um, I think it just becomes harder to just kind of know and become familiar with what these things are. Um, so it's just hard to figure out a way to convey, you know, just the different types of resources and have them stick in their brain. Right. There is something very, knowing how the brain works, we will learn something better by holding it and reading it than by looking at it on a screen. Um, yes. Because, because, and, and all of us have enough degrees. There are some things we've read. We can still see the page. We can yes. still see the desk or the couch we were sitting on or the room when we looked and went, wow, that's important. Um, it, because part of it is we learn all those things become part of the memory part of the learning process. And when you just do it on a screen and you scroll through looking for what you need, you lose some of that tangible, concrete learning and memory development. And so there is something to be lost. Um, whether it's much easier, much faster, much, you know, whatever, there's something to be lost if we don't have those concrete pieces. And I know, I know I'm, I'm old. I may be the oldest person in this podcast. Right now. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> you, you are indeed old, sir. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, I, you know, I, uh, I agree with that. And, and I, uh, we drive a lot, like just from court, court to court, county to county. And so I use that time for like to listen to audiobooks. And if I, if I hear something where I feel like it's particularly important, then I'm going to order that book and, and read it. And I, I agree with you. I think a lot of the stuff that we do read online or here, um, even at CLEs, you know, I, it just kind of goes in one ear and out the other. I like to order the actual book when I go to a CLE. Right. Um, and just so I have those notes and I can jot things down, but that's just the way my mind works. Sure. Sure. And then did you say that you actually own the O'Connor's yes. title and print then? Okay. So there yes. are certain practice yeah, guides. Yeah. Like so, that. yeah. yeah mm -hmm. So the Texas criminal codes plus 
which was O'Connor's. Now it's Thomson Reuters officially. Mm -hmm. Um, We have in in the office downtown, I think we have back to like 1983. And that's really important to get every year that you're in Um, or, you know, because a lot of these crimes, if you're representing somebody as a defense attorney and it happened in, you know, the crime may have happened in 2008, you know, depending on if it has statute of limitations or not, you need to be referencing the law that was in effect at the time of the offense. Right. And so it's really important to have a lot of those old ones. I know a lot of attorneys will just kind of trash them when they get a new edition. No. That's not best practice. Right. So I actually That's... was talking to uh, a prosecutor uh, in, in my running group, we're friends, um, and he was talking about a continuous sexual assault of a child, which now is not a probation eligible offense. Right. Under the code at the time, and he's like, he's like, we're, we're really freaking out that the, that the defense attorney is actually going to go back and look at it and realize <laughs> technically this guy's probation eligible to a jury. Yep. Right. That would be enough to make us want, make as a defense attorney us try a case because if they're offering 20 or 25 and somehow we could convince a jury to give them a sentence of less than 10 years and recommend probation, boom, that guy's walking the streets when we finish trial. Yep. May That's really what- interesting that you keep all the O'Connors because it, at UT, we keep all the Vernons, so I hadn't really thought about keeping just an annotated code, like a handbook annotated code instead. Yeah, well, it's what it's again, it's what it's what I use every day. Yeah, yeah, not, that so. makes sense. Yeah. Well, and you know, when you spend all that money on like an actual Vernon set um, mm-hmm. or the the reporters, they you know the company that you buy that from and spend like fifty k on mm-hmm. will send you the updates over the years, um, and so that you know that's that's important, I, you know, for your students, I guess, in a law library to, to reference that initial law. And then you can, you have the updates over the years to see how that mm-hmm. law has transformed, um, yeah. you know, through the years. But yeah, I tell whenever, uh, you know, a new attorney asked me like, what, you know, what, what should I have to best prepare me? I say, there's two things, you know, just not even talking about the business side, but just on the legal side and representing your clients effectively, you need to get an O'Connor's, um, the criminal codes plus, uh, subscription and you need the crimes and consequences by Todd DuPont. You need that subscription as well. And they'll just automatically send that to you every, you know, legislative session. Well, I actually okay. send it every year, even between the legislation, because there'll be case law, those oh, little, that, yeah. little case law dates right. in there. Um, and so that that's, that's where I start. Yeah. That's where I start my legal research. If, if it's a simple question, code related, I'm going to go to the the Texas criminal codes plus open it up, go to, you know, 3505, which is going to be criminal trespass and read through that, uh, either under crimes of consequences or in the Texas criminal codes plus. And then I'm going to look and see if there's any case law notes. Cause amazingly yeah. the, the definitive pieces are often right there. And I may have enough answer that I can stop researching, especially a simple question at that point. And the good thing about that, book is you know with the case law after every code section they have the citation so then now i can just go in plug in the citation print off the case have it ready for my hearing right but yeah i mean like you know just referencing how things are defined if the code section doesn't have a definition section then the case law will often have those terms defined for you so do you end up using um lexus or westlaw or one of those um, databases or like where where you pulling up yeah. the cases from well the texas bar and uh does have a free case text fast, fast case. case yeah fast, fast case, case. Yeah. Fast yep. case mm-hmm. um, yep. research which is good i paid uh-huh. for a westlaw subscription because that's what my law school used and that's what i was uh-huh. familiar with 
Um, <laughs> I, I found it. I found it pretty useless after really? uh, probably about a year. Well, I mean, here's the thing. I go through O'Connor's. Um, we, I will reference one of the many listservs that we're on because I know rarely do I have a novel question of the law. And, um, and then, you know, our favorite first stop for information, I will go to Google. Google. Yeah. Literally, the, uh, if, if I have a question that I can't find in the code book, the first thing I do is I type my question into Google. And I don't know if Google Scholar is still a thing, but when it I is. first started, that's, that was my one-stop shop. Right. I, our office still has Lexus, um, uh, and, and I use it occasionally. That's where I pull up. You know, If I'm really doing some digging research, that's where I'm going. But I'll start with Google. I'll type the question in. And sometimes, because here's the deal, anybody who's written an article about it will gladly post it on their blog. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so then I've, I've shortcutted the research because yeah. I can see, oh, this blog was released last year. What do they say? I go through that. And often it'll put the case or uh, a citation. It may, it, it may not be great because it may not really have the code or the case, but it'll reference it. And then I go, okay, now I'm going to put this question into Lexis yeah. uh, to find what I need. So I, I didn't, I didn't like fast case that much. I found it to be a little clunky. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. But when you have an office with multiple attorneys, having a couple of which really do a lot of appeals, we end up having that and I'll use that Lexus advanced. So, but I, and so, and so you're just, you're pulling like a specific case citation and plugging it into Lexus. Sometimes or, 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 or I'll have uh-huh. an exact question. Uh-huh. Um, but sometimes our questions are so convoluted, convoluted. Yeah. That, that there's really not good case law on it. Okay. Like, like, for example, I tried to find an answer to this question. Um, I will not say what County or what client it is. So, uh, but he's been charged with, uh, deadly conduct that under the code probably would be a third degree felony, but they sent it to the County attorney's office. So it's being charged to class a, like everyone in my office, go, when I describe it, they go, so a third degree felony, right? <laughs> um, uh, they, they know exactly what those things are. Uh, and they're trying them under a class A misdemeanor. And my question, you know, I'm kind of like, uh, but what I've decided is because I can't find anything on this, you know, like, can they try this there? That if they charge him at a, lo- a lesser included level, that double jeopardy would have then attached. And so they can't come back and hit him with a third degree once we impanel a jury. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Right. Um, so, so, did, so did you just jump onto a list then at that point to just get opinions or did you, did you seek out other sources we, of case we, law was coming up? Empty? We often stand on the shoulders of giants. Yeah. Uh, okay. There have been very, very good attorneys who have answered these questions, who have dealt with it and who probably know the code front and back and sideways. <laughs> and um, so my, a lot of time, I mean, if I can't find it, yes, I will jump on a listserv. But I'm gonna call, you know, Michael Mola or, uh, you know, uh, somebody. So here, that so I know. Andrew here has been known to text me during trial. Hey, yes. do you know? <laughs> yeah, with a very specific question, and 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 within minutes, I without even doing. Sometimes I'll know the answer. Yeah, you know, it's just mm-hmm. a, it's a it's a brain moment. Other times yeah. I'm like very quickly researching the question. I text him back, right? Um, uh, but I, I'm I'm very blessed to work with uh, guys downtown that they, they know the code, they know it backwards and forward. So you, like when you, like I said, when I described this case to him, 
as individually in group, they were like, so a third degree felony, <laughs> right? They didn't even have to know anything but, else. But yes, we will jump on a, on a listserv, the Texas Criminal Defense Lawyers Association. If you are okay. a new criminal defense attorney just starting out, join TCDLA. There is that listserv is uh, a CLE every time I read it. Well, if if you do criminal defense in the state of Texas, join TCDLA. Yes. Yeah. Even if you've been a prosecutor for 15 years and you think you know, it is amazing the the camaraderie. If you have a question, you put it on the listserv, you will have giants respond and go, here's the motion you need. Yep. Here's where you find the answer. Do Here's you, a brief I, I just wrote on this exact question that was argued before the Court of Appeals. I mean, it, it, is, it is a great resource. Right, right. So yeah, that, that resource, and then that's also who provides most of the CLEs I go to. Um, you know, I'll go to, to, a, to the Tarrant County Criminal Defense Lawyers Association meetings. You know, those are okay, you know, once a month. Um, and some other bar association where you'll pick up some random civil information that I'll, I may never use. It's just interesting. Um, but the yeoman's CLE and knowledge I get outside of personal research is through TCDLA. And really, that's where I'm going to go Agreed. if yeah. I can't find the answer fairly quickly. And so what are the CLEs that you try and attend? Are those annual or are there certain yeah. ones that you? Okay. Right. So TCDLA has their uh -huh. like signature annual update, um, advanced okay. criminal law CLE called the Rusty Duncan um, right. conference. It is uh, named after an old, um, criminal court, criminal, criminal CCA, criminal court of appeals, right. Justice, okay. Rusty Duncan's. Um, and, uh, that's a great one. They'll have uh, legislative updates, case law updates, Supreme court updates, two and a half, three days long in San Antonio. Great deal. Unfortunately, neither Andy and I can be, can be there this year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. Um, but uh, they do offer it online, so I will buy it. I will buy the presentations and listen to those or listen to it live or listen to it afterwards. Um, okay. And then know, they the also outlets. have a regular and recurring uh, what they call the Top Gun DWI. That's, like, that's been in 15 years. Yeah. They'll have defending, uh, sec you know, uh, defending sexual assault cases. They'll have um, uh, other various ones like I went uh, about a month ago down for two days in Austin for one day of women in the law and one day of race in the law. Um, mm -hmm. you know, so basically as a middle-aged white guy, I kind of stood out like a sore thumb, but, <laughs> um, it was actually very, very good. And, and we're, we're probably going to get a couple of guests off of that. Yeah. Uh, I hope being so. there. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's like, you know, what are you saying? What Andrew is saying is subject specific CLEs. Um, mm -hmm. So we try a lot as defense attorneys, you know, the, the very, the ones that are going to, you know, kind of get you a lot of notoriety and a lot of trial work and, and possibly a lot of money are going to be your DWI cases and your sexual assault cases. And okay. so those tend to have a, or, you know, and there's capital murder specific CLEs. Um, those are not quite as you know, you won't pick those up quite as frequently as the DWIs, but so you have those specific subject specific CLEs that you go to. And it's not only okay. just Texas law, but like, you know, the Supreme Court, um, Fifth Circuit type cases that that are pertinent to Texas. Right. Yeah, that's interesting that your professional organization is so like a one stop shop, then that that's good to know. Yeah, they, they do they, a great they, job. They've, yeah, 50 years. Uh, 
as last year they celebrated 50 years and it's um they they do training everything from if you've never had a criminal trial uh you spend a week in the summer yeah. or in the spring uh at the tim evans trial college and okay. they're, they're coming out of covid there were several seasoned attorneys who went to it this last year because they were like i haven't tried a case in two and a half or three years i i need i need to to, yeah. to warm my gears and so yeah. they went just uh as a refresher, as yeah. a refresher. Um, so yeah, TCDLA is a, is that place where we go um, for our CLEs, for the listserv, for the camaraderie, for well, yeah, and the all memo those bank, pieces. The memo bank the online. Memo bank. What's the memo bank? Well, right. if you have uh, like if you need trial motions, if you need um, case law, the TCDLA is going to compile all of those. Um, motions and memos and put them online for their membership to just download, you know, you, you're going to have to tweak it to your specific fact pattern, right. but it has everything you need for, um, you know, particular questions of the law. Yeah. Okay. There, there, there's, it, it makes it where you're not, regardless of where you are in the state, right? You get out to some of the West Texas or East Texas counties, and you may be one of only two or three criminal defense attorneys in your county and maybe the only one who's actually in your county, you cannot do that alone. You've got to have some support systems. Um, and this makes it where you truly are reaching out to the best attorneys in Fort Worth, Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, Austin, El Paso. Um, yeah. you, 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 well, we stand on the shoulder of giants. We don't have to do it on our own. Yeah. And so then when it comes to like the legislative and the case law update, is that stuff where you're, like, can you just give me an example of like a statute or a case law change that's like a big deal to you? Like, what what's the kind of stuff that kind of pops out? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, different. Um, okay, so we recently had um, a guest on the show, Jason Niehaus out of Denton, who argued was it Walker, um, which is a new case that that defined what material means in Article thirty nine fourteen of the Code of Criminal Procedure. It's the Michael Morton Act. It governs discovery in a criminal case. Uh, and that's a that was a pretty groundbreaking uh, case for defense attorneys. Right. And um, and so, you know, when we got that, the first the initial reason we had Jason on, he was the attorney who argued it um, on appeal. Uh, we found that out or we found that information on our local listservs. So okay. that's where that's where you're going to get a lot of stuff like, hey, this case just came down. I know TCDLA sends out a legislative update. And then TCCDLA, and I'm sure all of the other local bar or defense lawyers associations will send out uh, case law updates um, okay. as they are published. So um, that came out, and we, you know, obviously it's a that's a huge deal for us, um, defining material as basically anything that the state is going to use in trial against our defendants. Um, and, and so that's something that you're finding out just from the listserv initially, but if you didn't. If you missed it that day, then you could also learn about it just from getting the updates from your TCDLA. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I see. Yeah. yeah, because there's no way anybody, there's no way that the average attorney has time to read all the updates that yeah. come down from the appeal, you know, the, the 14 courts of appeal and the, the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals and sometimes out of the Supreme Court of Texas. Right. Or then obviously the Fifth Circuit and Supreme Court uh, on things that affects us federally. Yeah, because can you give me like a estimate, like how many cases are there that come out in a year that you feel like you are glad to know about? Like, is it 
just a handful or is it like dozens or every year probably a handful yeah i would say between Uh between half a dozen and a dozen yeah okay um that are really actually going to affect our day-to-day practice change the way that we you know have written our motions in the past or address certain issues right and then with a legislative session is it just kind of Okay, so yeah, so the legislative session becomes Uh, a fruit basket turnover. Uh, The Texas legislature (laughs) over the last, I think it's now three or four sessions, averages 43 new crimes or elevated sentences for a crime each session. That's a lot. You start doing the math and you kind of go, well, that means over the last decade, they've added 150 to 200 possible offenses or elevated the level of the offense. We've criminalized everything. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like you're like tax attorneys where every time they just change the tax code, it just ensures more business. And and, and it makes a difference. So when that legislation piece happens, it truly makes a difference. Did this crime occur at 1155 on August the 31st or at 1205 September 1? Yeah. uh, In the most recent, following the most recent legislative update, Payne someone for sex or sexual favors went from being a misdemeanor to a felony. So police agencies across the state set up on September one sting operations. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Right. So suddenly these guys that might have been just told, you know, stop that. We're suddenly being arrested and now they're sitting in felony courts. And some of the DAs are, aren't offering any deals on this because they're like, we want to find out what a jury really thinks. Okay. So there's some real like timing issues here then for like law enforcement about what they're paying attention to the legislature too, I guess, to decide how to allocate. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And it gets, and it feels a little dirty when you look at it like that, you kind of go, so this was a year maximum at 12 hours before this. And now we're looking at two to two to 10. Yeah. Right. Uh it, It feels dirty. Right. Yeah. And I understand human trafficking. I understand why they did it. But, you know, to set up a sting 12 hours later, they knew what they were doing. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see if it helps, um, you know, the amount of prostitution that's happening in the state of Texas. Something <laughs> tells me that it won't. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we get a little cynical on this show. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Well, they right, don't so call- what, what's your next question for us? Um. So I guess then with, um, you know, just keeping the real world perspective here like so how does it um how does the research like does it factor into your billing at all or like how do you explain what you're doing to your clients and um like is it all just part of your overhead and i'm just wondering about the expense of it all and how how much of it is it a concern about like which database you're choosing and so obviously we try to choose databases or or find those just like anything else where you try to find the plan that's going to be most cost effective for you and you, you one that's going to serve your clients. Yes, exactly. Um, But I don't know that minus billing for a, an appointed client where I'm actually billing time to the court. Yeah. I don't bill for research. I'll tell my client, Hey, you know, like I, you know, I I took your question, I did some research and this is what the law says. Um, They often don't like my answer, but. Right. Yeah. I mean, to, to the, ex- to, to a certain extent, it's just a cost of doing business and, and it may, you know, be reflected in the fees that we charge, but with criminal defense, you know, we're, we're 
we're flat fee type cases. So, mm-hmm. you know, a DWI is going to cost you so much and, and the, you know, Parker County or Tarrant County. Um, and that really is that price that that attorney set is reflective of, you know, what they think the time is going to take to put into the case, how, um, you know, how much of a headache a certain DA's office or prosecutor is going to be. Or the client appears to be upon or, initial meeting. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and that, that all, I guess, takes in, you know, when we talk about like how much, okay, is DWI I'm going to have to put in probably 40 hours total work. I, I, you know, I'm making that number up. Um, you know, that amount is going to cover overhead and whatever else we need to represent and research, clients. et cetera. Yeah. So, so we're not charging like hourly for research. Yeah. Not on, not on hired cases, maybe on, maybe on appointed cases though, you know, if I'm appointed on a DWI, I mean, how much research am I actually doing on right. that? I just know the answer. Yeah. <laughs> most of the time, but, but occasionally I'll put, I'll have a, um, yeah, have to draft a motion, have to draft a memo, research, or, or there'll that. be something that happens in on on a DWI, but on a more com a slightly different case where I don't know the answer. Yeah, and I, you know, and I'll look in my bill, and there'll be like 0.5 hours research, or you know, 0.9 hours research. So I do bill for that on an appointed client, on a retained client. I consider that just part of my job. Yeah, Does that answer the question. Yeah, and then um, this may be a little too technical, but sometimes in the class I talk about um, case dockets, uh, you know, just the the different numbering systems that you would see on the U.S. Supreme Court versus Texas Supreme Court versus um, intermediate courts and stuff like that. And I got the impression that um, the docketing numbers varies county to county for civil, but but even beyond that, that the docketing style differed from criminal versus civil. So do you have any insight on that? Uh, you know, just kind of yeah, how so different... every, every county does that slightly differently. Um, okay. uh, basically that the docketing numbers handled through the court clerk uh, mm-hmm. or the county clerk um, in some of the smaller counties where you have a general jurisdiction court, you're going to have CV or CIV as all your civil cases or CR or CIR for all your criminal cases. Um, so you kind of know when you're looking at it without looking at anything else. Oh, that's what, what mm-hmm. that's going to be. Um, and then in uh, single jurisdiction courts uh, like Tarrant County, it's just going to be the docketing number and you look at what court you're in. Yeah. And, and um, you know, the, the style of the case um, is different. I see a lot of like, you know, new attorneys who maybe take an appeal here and there still styling their case, the state of Texas versus you know, Joe Smith when it should be flipped, you know what I mean? Okay. But other than uh-huh. that, there's no real change. I mean, Andrew's right. Each County is going to, going to, you know, have put a different format, um, on their, uh, for, for a cause number or case number. And, and a lot of counties now are using like this odyssey system by, uh, Tyler technologies. And that's going to have, um, you know, that's going to change the way that the, uh, case is docketed also just because, it has to fit within their proprietary system. Right. And so does it change? Like if you have a client who's been charged with multiple counts of <laughs> crimes or whatever, right. um, like, is that all on like, like if, if someone comes to me and says, I want to research this criminal. Okay. okay. So we, we were talking about the docketing systems. We had a little technical glitch. Welcome to uh, the joys of 
technical <laughs> technology technology um so so basically you ask you know how do you know if this case is going to have yeah what uh, was the, your last the, question the way i understood the question was if somebody's charged with multiple offenses oh yeah they change the offense does the number change sometimes it does yeah. the answer is going to be okay. the, the legal answer it depends uh, it depends on what the DA wants to do, what they're changing. Are they want to make it counts under one indictment? Do they want multiple indictments? Do they want? So in the in the the strategy there is if it's serious enough offense, you know, having five counts in one indictment versus five different indictments, they both say the same thing. Technically, the range of punishment is not has not changed for each of those. But it could change if they can stack those sentences or not. Right. Okay. So that, that might be the issue. The other issue is if they're not sure that if they try multiple indictments, yeah. they can try each of them separately. And as the defense, we can say, we you as the state, we need to know which one you're going to go on. Yeah. Okay. Right. If they list it as counts, they can try all of them together. And they could be found not guilty on four and guilty on one and still be, you know, depending on which which count, still be eligible for the full range of punishment. And how did you learn this stuff? Like, is this stuff that you just learn while you get into practice from attorneys who've been in the field longer? Or is this stuff that? Yes. You, okay. Yeah. So and I, I was an attorney. I, I was a, an attorney. I was a prosecutor when I first was licensed. And they I mean, there's it's just the same thing as being a defense attorney officing with some older, more seasoned attorneys. It's just great, great experience. Um you know, there are, there are going to be questions like that. Like, I don't understand why this is th this way and that, that way, or, you know, and the older attorneys are going to be able like, you know, look, man, this is, here's the answer. Right. <clears throat> and informally, this is what we do in that situation. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of things that just aren't included in any code book on how to proceed on cases. Yeah. It's just interesting. Cause I mean, that's the kind of stuff that if they could just include like little blurbs when you're like trying to use a database, you know, like this is like how it's done. <laughs> and then it would be, you know, it's just something that I can convey when and I'm teaching. And sometimes it so, varies yeah. county to county on how they prefer it, DA to yeah. DA. Sometimes okay. it, it, it'll be different. One DA or, or assistant district attorney and another assistant district attorney in the same building will kind of right. feel different way. You know, it's like, Okay. And the code is code is very flexible with that. Right. I mean, they, okay. they give police officers a lot of discretion on who to arrest and what charge to book them under. And then it gives mm -hmm. a lot of prosecutors discretion on which charge to proceed on. Right. Okay. Interesting. Okay. That's well, that's what we call a punt. The, 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 <laughs> the legislature and the courts punt back to the uh, local, you know, right. administrators. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think that wraps up the questions I had. For you All then. right. So, so as, as the research librarian, we have a couple of questions for you. Yeah. Um, what is the biggest change you've seen in legal research in the last, we'll say, 10 years? Yeah, I think we touched on this earlier. Um, yeah, I think the, um, the kind of the Googleification of legal research um, has its pluses mm -hmm. and minuses. So, Lexis and Wausau especially have put a lot of effort into, you know, that this, that people can start their, their research with the search box at the top and hopefully get the answer they need just by doing Google type searches. Right. And I love Google. So like, that's a worthy goal. And, but as I already mentioned, it just, um, the downside is just that 
law students especially just aren't necessarily as familiar with what those results are that they're seeing. So, um, you know, the classic way to do legal research is to start with secondary sources and then move on to primary sources. And so if you're not really familiar sure. with what the different titles are, um, you don't necessarily recognize that you're looking at a secondary source versus a primary source. So it's just yeah. kind of, it's hard, it's hard to know uh, how much to work against this, but that's I, definitely I, one of the changes I, I've seen. <laughs> I do remember in my first legal writing class, our first paper, the, the, the professor stood up after we turned them all in and he said, look, I obviously was not clear. Most of the class cited to head notes. Those okay. are not <laughs> right. Because we didn't know, we didn't know yet uh -huh. that that yeah. wasn't where you cited to, yeah. um, that you had to cite to the, to the case itself. But the kind of, as the coffee mug says, your Google search does not equal my legal degree. Yeah. <laughs> um, when we've all had people come in and go, you know, but this says, and I'll look at what they pulled up and I read through it all. And I say, well, yes, but they threw this out for something completely different that has nothing to do with your case. They threw it out because a judge on their own made a ruling that didn't apply. And so this case was thrown out. That has nothing to do with how your case is going to go. And, and they don't, yeah, th th but they don't know that. I mean, their, yeah. their, their Google search doesn't equal my legal degree. Yeah. To, to be blunt. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how do you think, what do you think is going to, and this is a much harder question. What's going to change in the next 10 years? What do you, what do you as a, as a legal librarian <laughs> see coming that maybe we don't see yet? Yeah. What foretell the future for us? <laughs> I mean, hopefully, you know, this effort to turn legal research into more of a Google experience will just keep on getting better and better. Um, but, you know, I, I'm really not in position to, make uh you know really on point predictions i guess there's a few things that just having worked uh, more with texas legal research in particular these last couple of years since i've been teaching this topic that i'm hoping will happen which is just it'd be wonderful if the um, state of texas could improve their um, public version of texas statutes and there are some efforts out there in other states like um Virginia has used this program called um, State Decoded, which has taken the language of the Virginia statutes and then they've tied it in with free case law. So it's kind of like a free annotated statute database that's freely available. I think that if, if Texas could ever do something like that, that would be awesome because the possibility is already out there. Um, it'd just be a matter of having the time and resources to do that. That'd be it's a something... yeoman's work. That, yeah, yeah. But that would also be very useful. And then just something else, you know, on the federal level with rulemaking, you've got um, regulations.gov where you can go in and see the um, comments that people have submitted on proposed rules and regulations. And there's no Texas equivalent to that. So if that was ever. Imagine that. Yeah, that would be nice, too. Um, and then some jurisdictions already have this on the state level where they have the neutral citation um, where it's the courts will number the paragraphs. And so you don't need to rely on a reporter like from West or Lexis wow. to cite. Um, you can just, <clears throat> just look at the case straight from the court and know how to cite it right there. You don't have to wait and look, go online and find it somewhere else. So those are some things that, you know, 
you are out like there now. See. Yeah, I would like to yeah. see. Yeah. We'll take that. We'll yeah. take that. I think okay. those are the any of those, any one of those would be would, would serve the citizens of the state of Texas very well. Yeah. That, yeah. Let alone like future attorneys, current attorneys. Right. So we ask every guest a few questions. We've sent them to you as well. Um, uh-huh. Favorite book or one you'd recommend? Yeah, so one book that's really influenced my thinking is uh, The Checklist by Atul Gawande. Have either of you read him before? No. The Checklist. Yeah, he's a really great author. He, uh, I mean, he's actually a surgeon. Um, Right now, I think he's um, in the Biden administration working on public health stuff, but um, he's- This is Texas. We can't talk about that administration. (laughs) 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 He's he's written for The New Yorker and uh, a lot of his books- build off of these essays that he's written there. And so the checklist is talking about um, the the larger principle is just that um, recognition is easier than recall when you're in um, a complex information environment. So that would apply to surgeons as well as attorneys. And so if you can kind of make a checklist for yourself for different situations, then, and I think attorneys already do this anyways, but um, I'm just trying to bring this concept out a lot with students about how you can be creating your own checklists or you could be looking for checklists um, to help with different legal research situations. Interesting. Um, I am going to buy yeah. that book. Yeah. I always like Yeah, to it's get... definitely a very easy read and has lots of different anecdotes from around the world. So I re- highly recommend it. I'm right. always looking for ways to like better serve my clients in a more efficient way. And I think you're I just think finding that... ways to be lazy. Um, <laughs> it's true. What about, all right. uh, all right. So you are in the, uh, capital, the, the, the live, live music. music capital of the world. So this ought to be a good question. <laughs> Favorite band or musical artist. I really hate to disappoint, but <laughs> I was thinking about what I actually listen to on a daily basis when I'm working. And I listen to Teddy Wilson, which I don't know if, if that's someone you're familiar with either, but so what kind of music is Teddy Wilson play? Yeah. It's like, it's just a jazz pianist from the, he oh. played with, Benny Goodman and then you know oh, went out, yeah, went out right. through the Goodman, 1950s yeah. yeah 1950s and stuff so I yeah. love it that's stellar yeah yeah, yeah. I, I'm uh <laughs> I'm gonna have to put him on my playlist because I'm a huge Frank Morgan fan Ray Brown trio fan okay so, my yeah, son Travis knows my son Travis and I listen to a lot of Frank Sinatra I mean, okay it's, so it'd be right in the same same kind of genre yeah right yeah on. yeah okay finally what, yeah best what piece of advice you've been given there you go Okay, so this is going to sound very librarian-ish, but best piece of advice was to start with a treatise. And um, part of why this has stuck with me so much is that I may have heard this in law school, but it didn't really come home to me until after I was out of law school and out as a librarian. Um, And even though in law school they talk about secondary sources, I feel like the way law is taught mainly through case books um, and case law is just kind of the end all be all of case of law yep. that it's really hard to overcome that uh, lesson of wait I should be looking at case law. I should be looking at case law when it's really I should be looking for a treatise I should be looking for a secondary source whether it's O'Connor's or you know Dorsenio's something yeah. like that interesting law review articles probably the best yeah. piece of advice you should have been given is never be on a podcast okay so so first of all thank you for being on the show uh if if somebody needs to find you if somebody needs to find a legal librarian 
Um, uh-huh. How would they get a hold of you? Yeah, so the Tarleton Law Library is open to the public. So generally speaking, when we're helping the public, you would just go to the Tarleton Law Library's website, uh, tarleton.law.utexas.edu, and then we have an Ask a Librarian service. Um, cool. Yeah, so you can send us an email through through that website. Very That's cool. great, and we'll link to that on our show notes, which Mr. Decker still can't find. Yeah, I, I sometimes can. I've, I found him once. Um, <laughs> Well, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to another episode of Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. You know where to find us. We're on the web at texascrimdef.com. And you can find us on Facebook. And I think we're at 18 followers on Twitter. And I think the website is texascrimdefense.com. It is. It is (laughs) texascrimdefense.com. You're right. But follow us on Twitter so we have something to talk about, please. All right. Y'all be good. Thank you. Bye. Bye.